As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, big weekend of games this weekend. I'm fired up. I've got my triple shot soy latte here to to bring the energy that uh, befits a weekend like this. However, before we get to the big Michigan-Michigan State game, Texas Tech fired Matt Wells uh, after this past weekend's loss and a lot of people who aren't necessarily you know close followers of Texas Tech are like really he's five and three what are you, what are you doing um, you updated your you have a pretty thorough uh, checking in on the temperatures of various hot seats around the country and so I wanted to just take this opportunity to talk a little bit about a, a very it doesn't it seem like this could end up being the most active like it just seems like there's going to be a ton of power five and including really good power five jobs coming open. Right. I think you already have a, you already have two huge jobs open with LSU and USC. You have Washington State, which is another power five. So you have four, never mind the, the smaller ones, which is obviously Georgia Southern, UConn. But you, what you also will get, so last year was a bigger than expected year, but it wasn't, you know, because you had some of those SEC jobs pop with Auburn, South Carolina and Tennessee. What I think you will end up getting too is those dominoes that happen when these jobs have to get filled, right? So you end up, usually you end up in the low 20s. You may end up in the 30s when some of these other jobs get get filled because what I think you will see happen this time, and I'm not saying this is going to be across the board this way, but I don't feel like there's as many coordinators in line to get uh, these power five head coaching jobs. And for example, so in my reporting for Texas Tech, uh, a couple of names, the most polarizing name by far, Art Bryles. He went to Texas Tech. He obviously won a ton of games at Baylor and then had about as ugly an exit from Baylor as you can have. You know, we all know the story uh, for the sexual violence uh, investigation there. He was fired. The AD Ian McCaw was fired and the president of the school Kenneth Starr was also fired. 
Um, from the sources I talked to, yes, there are some influential people at Texas Tech who want Art Riles as the head coach, but there's also some people who are involved in the process who are really pushing back. You know, I, who my understanding is it's a long shot that he would even be a serious candidate in the mix beyond that. But also that a couple of the names that are pretty hot names on the on the coordinator level, Jeff Levy, who's the play caller for Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, he's Art Riles' son-in-law. His name will come up for some head coaching jobs, and he grew up like about an hour and a half away from Lubbock, uh, all, as well as Kendall Bryles, Art's son, who's the offense coordinator at Arkansas. Both guys have big Texas ties, which are which is certainly an, an appeal to the Texas Tech search. But what I was told is they're probably not going to look very closely at coordinators because they feel like they really need a proven head coach because it's too much of a gamble to roll the dice on a first time head coach. So towards that end, I think that the fact that there will be sitting head coaches plucked away from other jobs only increases the number of, so it's not just guys on the hot seat. Now it's also guys who have, who are doing well on their jobs who may be leaving. A lot of people will say, hey, their next head coach is just sitting right there in, in Dallas. Uh, can we, you know, it's a no-brainer. Go hire Sonny Dykes. Do you think it's quite that clear? I don't think it's quite that clear. I think he's definitely a real candidate. You know, what I'm, I, I think Sonny Dykes is going to be one of the more intriguing figures of this coaching carousel because, as you said, he's done an excellent job back home in the state of Texas. He also has the history of having left – Louisiana Tech, where he did well, took Cal, was an odd fit. Cal is a tough place to win uh, resources-wise for all sorts of reasons. And people knew Sonny was trying to get out of there, not maybe from the moment he got there, but not long after. And so you think he's going to be very cautious in what his next move is. And he's a really good fit in the state of Texas. As you look at the landscape now, and I wrote about this in that hot seat story this week, uh, one of the hottest seats, if not the hottest seat right now in college football is Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. And Sonny Dykes, I think, is a guy that Whit Babcock, the AD there, really will have some interest in, along with, uh, along with Billy Napier, from my understanding, the coach at Louisiana. But also there's some other jobs that could come open that may interest Sonny Dykes. Um, you know, one thing, and we can talk about this here a little bit, you know, there's definitely some rumblings about whether Gary Patterson, who's had an amazing run at TCU, will be there as the head coach in 2022. If he is not there, I'm thinking if I'm TCU, I'm tr- I'm thinking, man, Sonny Dykes is not far away. He's done an amazing job. He, by the way, has worked here because he was an analyst on that on Patterson's staff. Uh, to me, TCU is a is a better job than than Texas Tech. Now, Texas Tech has got $20 million coming in to do a new uh, part of their new facilities upgrade. But still, I mean, you look at the success TCU has had of late compared to what, um, you know, our friend Max Olson did a really good deep dive into what exactly has happened at Texas Tech since Mike Leach left. No one has been able to get anything really going there. So it's an interesting landscape and Sonny Dykes is going to be in the middle of it. So this one hasn't come open quite yet, but I think we, we know it will. Virginia Tech, Justin Fuente is now three and four. He was already considered a hot seat coach coming into the season. And that's an interesting one to me because obviously they had the same coach for all those years in Frank Beamer. Fuente was the choice to replace him. 
Bud Foster being with him originally. And it just hasn't, it, it just hasn't, he had a good start and then just has never gotten back to that. Who are some names you would think of would be a fit at Virginia Tech? Well, as I said uh, at a, a minute ago, I do think Billy Napier and Sonny Dykes are on Whit Babcock, the AD's radar. Um, I have no idea if they would look at Brent Venables, the DC at Clemson. You, you know, we've talked a ton about Brent, how good he is at what he does. Um, Jamie Chadwell from Coastal Carolina keeps doing an amazing job, really unique offensive system. He's from not that far away. Um, you know, I would think he would be a guy people would look at and say, yeah, that would be an interesting mix. And if I was at a rival ACC school, I don't want Jamie Chadwell coming to Virginia Tech. I think, yeah, I feel like Jamie Chadwell could be there. Dave Clawson, somebody who has a very unique system and would be very hard to prepare for. And obviously would have the ability to, I mean, look, that Coastal Carolina team has got a lot of good athletes. So uh, but obviously you would think of being at Virginia Tech, you'd have access to, to even better talent. Yeah, I think those would be the three names uh, that would jump out at, at me of the two Sunbelt guys and, and maybe Sonny, uh, maybe, depending on what else comes open. But to me, those are the ones that I think they would really give a long look at. And finally, where do we think things stand at Miami? I, I think if he hadn't, if Manny Diaz, if they hadn't pulled out that game against NC State, a lot of people think he would have been fired this week. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what it does for Miami to fire Manny Diaz at this point of the season. Um, well, what does it do for any of the, you know, I've, what does it do for Texas Tech to fire Matt Wells when they did? You know, it's 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 a little, you know, what 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 in the hindsight, what did it do for LSU to fire Ogeron and then have him keep coaching? Like the, these midseason firing, I get the Clay Helton one. That was that was more of a if we don't do this, nobody's going to come back to the games. Some of these others just feel like. Yeah, we want to get a, a head start on finding our next coach, but there's only so much you can do. I think it's a good question. I think, like, if you look at the example of at LSU, Ogeron just beat Florida with half a team. If somehow they go on a roll, because I look, I asked him these specific questions um, before the Florida game. What happens if you, you know, you beat Ole Miss and then you beat, you know, this team and go five and one the last six games? It's like, you know, are they going to, can they fire somebody going eight and four at that point where you're two years removed? It's like, but you can fire somebody. It's probably easier to fire them at four and three. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, the, the mentality of the team, it's kind of, you've unplugged things in the case of Texas tech, you know, Matt Wells almost got fired last year there. It was not after a long amount of time. Obviously he was a very successful coach at Utah state, I think what didn't sit well with some of the people around the program was he had taken a bunch of transfers and obviously as Matt, Max had written about, there felt like there was a little bit of a disconnect compared to the state of Texas. But you look at the schedule they have left, it is a loaded last month with Oklahoma and at Baylor and, and, and Oklahoma State. These are some of the best teams in the Big 12. If Matt Wells had gone three and one down the stretch, it's a long shot. But if he had... um you know, he's sitting there at eight and four. I don't know how they'd fire him. You know, I think this was like, let's fire him before he has a chance to save his job. I really feel like that's how it came down to. And of course, which begs the question, if he did get to eight and four, why would you, why would you need to fire? Like that's Cliff Kingsbury is having trouble getting to eight and four. I, I, I don't know. Texas tech to me, 
I'm not saying I'm not close enough to it to know. I mean, from all indications, Matt Wells, that they just considered him to be a bad fit from the beginning. So I'm not saying they shouldn't have fired him, but I do wonder if, if this is one of those expectations are a little out of whack situations, Mike Leach maybe spoiled them a little bit, a little, um, a lot, a lot with the success he had. I mean, the fact that cliff only had one good season there, and now is the head coach of the, you know, the, the first place team in the whole NFL. At some point, you might want to ask yourself, you know, at the time it was like, oh, my gosh, why do the Arizona Cardinals think that a guy who is, a, frankly, a mediocre college coach can run an NFL team? Now I'm now I'm thinking maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was the school. He had Pat Mahomes as a quarterback and he still couldn't win. Maybe it's more a case of it's just really, really hard to get especially great defensive players to come to Lubbock, Texas. I think the thing for Cliff in retrospect was I don't think he was ready to be a power five head coach and he was learning on the fly. He had that really young staff of it. A lot of them were his buddies and I think they got better over time. They definitely got better on defense because they were so awful for much of that time, but they started to make some improvement. Um, I, I think that was the hardest thing. Cause you remember cliff was not a coordinator for very long. And, and when he was at Texas A&M, it was like managing Johnny was, was the big part of it. Whereas, you know, some other coordinators typically are more involved in other aspects of the program. And he really wasn't at that point at A&M. So it's like, you kind of have this rock star guy coming back. Who's really smart and is very conscientious, but I think he's learning on the fly on that. And so, you know, I don't know if it would have been much different if you gave him two more years, maybe, I don't know. Um, but at the end, the, the thing I take away is like, I don't know, like Matt Wells is what you were like, was what you hired. I don't, you know, you hired a guy who was from, who was coaching at, at Utah state is a good coach, but it's not like you didn't hire a guy who's deep in the root of Texas. This is kind of what you hired. So I'm surprised. And then he didn't get much time. I mean, this is, this is year three. And, you know, quite honestly, I feel like they got better each year, but it was not, it was too little, too late. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of inexcusable losses. Probably hard to come back from losing to Kansas. Um, Look, they beat, they beat a good Texas team tech. I mean, I'm sorry. They get to beat a good Houston team. Yep. In week one, Houston's what six and one, and they beat them pretty soundly. They beat West Virginia, who's not awful. You know, it's like, but they could not, they squandered the lead against K State. And I think that gave them the opportunity to make the change now. And now they're, and now their last four games are against the four current top 25 teams in the Big 12. So it's probably heading toward six and six ish. But if he won some of, if he pulled some upsets, can't fire him then. Okay, so <laughs> that, I, I kind of took us on a detour there. I had started out asking you about what's going on at Miami, and we hadn't, you hadn't, I didn't actually give you a chance to get to it. So, Miami. So, this is complicated, right? Um, as we've talked about, Manny Diaz has a big buyout, especially big by Miami standards. It's probably north of $8 million. On top of it, the AD Blake James is also on the hot seat there. That makes it, uh, makes it more thorny. I think we saw last week Blake James took to the media and seemed to distance himself from Manny Diaz, his hire. Mm -hmm. um, Volunteered yeah. that up, like like sought out the media to make a statement that Manny Diaz needs to win more. 
Yeah. And I don't think that that was shocking. I think it was a little surprising that maybe he was so public in how he did it. I think that where we are now with Miami, I look, I thought that was a good night for UM in this regard. Not only did they beat one of the best teams in the ACC, NC state with a good defense, Tyler Van Dyke, who's a really young quarterback who's been thrust into the spot because he's really the only healthy quarterback they have. Obviously Dr. King is not, is out for the rest of the year and Jake Garcia, who they think is super talented. He is out, I think for the next couple of weeks, but Van Dyke gave them a real spark. He was vocal in said some things that maybe ruffled some feathers with NC state and kind of called his shot and backed it up. And he played really well. This, I don't know if Miami is capable of going on a mini run. Now they have Pitt, who's the right now, the best team in the, in the conference is up next. If they beat them, I don't think these are job savers for, for Manny Diaz, but I do think if they can go on a run and get to eight and four, I think they can make a case. Well, you know what? Maybe we have, we're taking the strides in the right direction, given all the circumstances. It is going to be a very uphill climb though. Cause I don't, I don't know if seven and five, which means you lose one more game gets you there. Now I think they could argue, well, we did have a really bad performance against Michigan state. We did, and then you get back to, well, you know, it was like kind of a, kind of a close loss to Virginia, which isn't a bad team, but I think they really, it's the last month. It's like, a, I feel like a not necessarily a last ditch effort, but that's kind of what it feels like. Because I think if you're Miami, the part that I don't know if you know behind the curtain is who is making, if it is Manny Diaz is out of there, who's making the next hire and how are they doing it financially? I mean, is there going to be some kind of big angel money that's going to come in, make that change and say, hey, we're going to make a run at Mario Cristobal and here's how we're going to do it. Or if they don't, I don't know what direction they go in coming out of that and how their money works. That's the part why I think it's really, really complicated given the AD situation on top of it. Well, going to be an interesting few weeks to say the least. Um, One thing I've always said about this sport is that everything converges at once over the last month of the season. We got our first playoff rankings coming out next week. Coaching carousel will go into earnest. And Oh, by the way, uh, almost as soon as the regular season's over, it's early signing day. So everything at once. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. 
Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Halloween weekend this weekend brings with it a really stacked lineup of games, but obviously one stands out above the others. The first meeting, Michigan and Michigan State, the first meeting of top 10 teams, of them both being ranked in the top 10 since 1964. 7-0 and against 7-0. and I, I, I'm so fascinated by this matchup, I can't wait. All right, so we have to dig into this part of it because we've talked a bunch about how what Mel Tucker has done at Michigan State. He's hit gold in the transfer portal, most notably with Kenneth Walker the third from Wake Forest. Um, that part has been fascinating to see. But the one is a lot of people had completely written off Jim Harbaugh. You are high on the list of his most vocal media critics. I don't want to say how you like him now because the schedule gets a lot harder now. I mean, yeah, you know, it was like Nebraska is not very good. Washington, those are some of the best wins they have so far. So the are when they have was Wisconsin. And Wisconsin not very good either this year, though. So, right. so what do you expect from Jim Harbaugh's team this weekend? Well, um, I do think that's a really they have a really good team, um, and as I was thinking about who to pick in this game. I think initially I was leaning Michigan. And then I was reminded of that infamous stat that Harbaugh is two and 12 against top 10 opponents, including Owen six in on the road against top 10 opponents. This is a road game in East Lansing. And then that gives you pause and makes you think, well, do I really believe that this is different? Like that this year is different than all the others. And the answer is, I don't know. They're off to a great start. Either you do or you don't. So the answer is you don't. I don't, don't know. They're seven and zero, but like you just said, they it's not. Uh, there aren't big wins in there that make you think. Yeah, you know. I think. I mean, I always think back to that 2018 season. Um, they got to ten and one. You know, I was fully on board. Like this is, you know, he's doing a great job. They've got Jay Patterson seemed like a pretty good quarterback at that point, and then Ohio State blew them out. So it's. You can understand why, and I'm not alone in this. You, you want to tread a little bit carefully. Now, it's not like Mel Tucker has some huge, uh, you know, this is, this, he's being talked about for major jobs, and he this is uh, his first winning season as a head coach because he's only been a head coach for three years. So it's kind of like Harbaugh's more proven, but in, in some ways he's also proven that these are the games that give him trouble. Well, I, I don't. I would agree with that. I mean, the year that you were talking about with um, three years ago when they got blown out by at Ohio State, that team actually had a bunch of solid wins over the, you know, they blew out Wisconsin. Yeah. I'm looking at this now, blew out Wisconsin. Uh, they, they beat Michigan State on the road, who was top 25 at that point, handily. And then they crushed Penn State. And those were like three, six, that was three successive games. So it was like that team felt more proven than this one does. 
You know, now I think what's going to happen if they do win this game, and I think they might, uh, if they do win this game is I feel like he will, he can, he and Michigan can go, can go 11 and 0 and they will still not be getting the benefit of the doubt until they beat the Buckeyes. I really feel like that is, I don't want to dismiss this game because I think it's, I would love to be there. I think it's going to be a really fascinating scene and, and fun game, but I don't like, let's say Michigan does win this game. I think people are going to look at it and go, well, who had Michigan state beat? And they barely survived Indiana. They barely survived Nebraska. In a lot of ways, Michigan state feels actually very similar to Michigan. Yes. Um, except like, in, in, as you said, Mel has not been a head coach very long. He did a nice job in his first year at CU, but it wasn't like they won much. And then last year was like, you know, it was kind of a scramble and they, it wasn't a very impressive, you know, win loss side. At this point, though, I don't know. People know who Kenneth Walker is, and they know a little bit about some of the, but they don't know much about their defensive personnel. Um, whereas, at least at Michigan, you do see Aiden Hutchinson. It looks like a top five draft pick, and he is a dominant player. But offensively, yeah, they have a bunch of good running backs, but I still feel like quarterback play has been modest. And if you have a program that has very modest quarterback play unless you have like George's personnel in the front seven, which I don't think, you know, Michigan's got good personnel, but it's not like George's. I feel like you are not going to get the benefit of the doubt unless, you know, unless you win beat heavyweight teams. And right now this does not feel like yet a heavyweight matchup. I mean, obviously, you know, they could beat Michigan state 52 to nothing. And, and they would still probably be the underdog going to the Ohio State game. But I do think this is an important game for him because, remember, as much as people focus on Ohio State, he also has struggled against his other rival, Michigan State, uh, three and three against them, um, lost to them last year in a year that Michigan State wasn't good. So in terms of pleasing the fan base, I think this would be huge. If, they, if he beats Michigan State, I would think even if they then lose to, let's say, Ohio State and then also Penn State and finish 10 and 2, that's still a really successful season, especially given where they were last year. I think the problem would be if they lose this game and two more, and it's like, okay, you you were a lot better than you were last year, but you went nine and three and you didn't win any of the big games. That would feel a lot different to me than 10 and 2 with one with a rivalry win. I think the problem is a lot of Jim Harbaugh's games have been blowouts. They're either like they blew out Notre Dame a couple of years ago and Brian Kelly. And like we said, they've, you know, they've blown out Penn state. They've blown out Wisconsin, but it's like the Wisconsin, Michigan. It's like, it's almost never a close game. And so I think if they're 10 and two, but somehow those two losses are by more than 17 points, I'm not sure. Yes, it's better. I still feel like, you know, kind of the stigma is not going away. Now, if they go 10 and two and they're, you know, like the one game where it was the JT Barrett ruling, like that could have gone either way, you know? And it's just like, if, if they won that game, I don't know if we're, I don't think people talk about Jim Harbaugh the same way, even if it's just that one thing. All the pressures on Harbaugh and Michigan in this one, they really need to win this game. I think for Michigan state, obviously you, you would enjoy and love beating your rival but they're already much better than anybody expected this year. And it's only his second season. So it wouldn't be, you know, you know, the narrative will be if Harbaugh loses, he at same old, same old can't beat the rival. 
that's not going to be like that if 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 uh, Michigan State loses to Michigan. All right, let's do mailbag that. time. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. All right, Stu, you asked for it and you've gotten it. You wanted to talk about realignment, especially at the group of five. I wanted to know if the reader listeners were interested in group of five realignment. And the, and the response was unequivocally yes. This is from Scott Butler. Yes, we are interested. In fact, it's more than the games. A lot more. More okay. fun than the games. Yes, it's a lot more fun than the games. Three questions. Does the national media laugh at Mike Oresco's rhetoric? Mike Oresco being the commissioner of the AAC, especially now that his conference is Conference USA 3.0. Ouch. What is realist is a really realistic scenario for Conference USA if they are left with just five teams? Do they add UMass and UConn for football only while grabbing some of the Western FCF schools? Third, is it now clear that the Sun Belt and Mountain West will be the two best group of five conferences? Okay, Stu, what do you say? Uh, to the answer to the first one, yes, we do laugh at Mike Oresco's rhetoric. To Mike Oresco's credit, the, the AAC has become a very good conference. They were not a power conference, no matter what logo patch they put on their jersey. Um, Cincinnati is in, has a, you know, in, the, in the national championship race right now. So he backed up his words, if you will. But yes, I definitely rolled my eyes when in the press conference to announce the new schools, he said they're going to continue to, to with the Power Six branding because nobody with any perspective believes that a conference that is basically like like Scott said, you're, you're taking half of Conference USA and dumping it into your conference is going to remain anywhere close to the Power Five leagues. Uh, and, and if anything skipping down to number three i do think the mountain west which was the big winner in all this because nobody you know the aac tried to get uh boise state and and san diego state and others to leave and they decided to stay Um, i don't think they're that far apart now and so i certainly think the mountain west remaining intact with some very good programs in boise and san diego state and fresno state air force is usually in the mix um is going to be the best group of five conference in the Sun Belt. I, uh, probably, I mean, they, they're adding Southern Miss, they're adding old dominion, uh, Marshall, and then James Madison's going to move up from FCS and you've already got coastal Carolina and Louisiana is doing very well. So yeah, I, I think that is probably, I don't want to say necessarily say flat out better, but comparable to what the new AAC will be. What do you think? I think the challenge for the Sun Belt, and I have a lot of respect for that conference, is going to be they may be losing some really good coaches on the top of their conference. We mentioned Coastal Carolina and Jamie Chadwell. We've mentioned Billy Napier in Louisiana. Uh, I think South Alabama's on the ascension with Kane Womack there. But I think that'll be the hard part because Mountain West has done a very good job. They've had some terrific coaches use that as a launch pad. I mean, you can start with Chris Peterson, who left Boise for for uh, UW, but there's been a lot of guys who have come through there who've done really well and moved on. And I think that sometimes it's worked out. Obviously, with Peterson, it worked out for, as we said, Matt Wells, it didn't work out so well. But I think that is going to be the key is who do you replace? Because the coaches and what you can get at that level, especially as we've seen the money gap really stretched between some of these other leagues has been interesting. And just one other point on yours about Michael Resco. He got a great TV deal um, out of ESPN 
financially when that was put together. I, I don't uh, timing I'm sure helped it, but I mean, that was a key piece in that and we'll see how they, how that, how that goes forward with taking out most of the best teams and adding some of the lower profiles from the rest of group of five in there. That's not going to be a natural trade-off. As for conference USA, oof, um, kind of reminds me of when the WAC was desperately trying to stay together and eventually realized they couldn't. Um, I think the one school that they have to really think about, are they desperate enough is Liberty. Liberty is obviously good in football. Nobody could dispute that, but the university itself, very controversial scandal. Yeah. Scandals left and right. Scandals. I had another, they had an awful, um, I've never seen anything quite like this. The, the person who was basically their main, the university's main PR person got fired for trying to get the school to be more transparent about the fact that they were um, discouraging sexual assault victims from coming forward. When he got fired, he went to ProPublica and spilled all. So, you know, there's, there's also, I've seen an interest. They tried to buy their way into Conference USA a few years ago. And and not only did that not work, it it really turned people off. So, um, but that being said, if this is a conference that's trying to survive with five schools, there aren't a lot of great options. I don't think you're going to go get, you know, UMass and UConn. I think they're talking about trying, you know, just like the Sun, Sunbelts, you know, calling up James Madison, if you will. Can they get Sam, reigning national champions, Sam Houston State? Would they be interested in moving up? I saw, is it Tarleton State? Is that how you say it? Yeah. I mean, if th- when you're talking about Tarleton State, that means you've you've really hit rock bottom. No offense to that school, but I mean, come on. That's a that's a that's going to be an FBS conference. So even if they can patch, find three schools and patch it together for now, I just feel like it's going to be an endless cycle of schools coming in and leaving. And unfortunately, I think some of those schools may have to either go independent or try to latch on to another conference themselves. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Back to the coaching carousel, Nick from Western New York. Hi, Stu and Bruce. I admire your podcast. It's thoughtful content and combined with the futility of my New York Giants, it's turning me into a college football fan, even though my alma mater doesn't have a football team. Happy to help with that. Uh, Any other... um, Desperate New York Giants fans who want to become college football fans and listen to our podcast, we're happy to have you. He asks, why hasn't Bill O'Brien come up as an LSU candidate? He can coach QBs. He's restored a program with big potential after the contentious exit of a popular coach. He's talking about his time at Penn State. And he's at Alabama that checks a lot of boxes for LSU. 
he doesn't want to recruit, so what? You make it sound like LSU recruits itself, and you can't tell me he's not a better choice than Lane Kiffin. That's like going from gasoline to kerosene and expecting to put out a fire. Uh, I think the recruiting piece is actually a big deal. I wouldn't gloss over it. LSU doesn't just recruit itself. I mean, you know, for as much as was made about, uh, well, you just, all you had to do is this was all Joe Burrow or it was all Joe Brady. Uh, people forget Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. Those are two of the best receivers in the NFL right now. You got to go recruit those guys. You got to go find Patrick Queen. You got to go find like in the, in the SEC recruiting is cutthroat. I think that is a big question mark with Bill O'Brien. Remember, it wasn't like he left New England. He had coached Tom Brady. He was able to con- to sell Christian Hackenberg, who at the time was a huge recruit. But it's one thing to recruit quarterbacks coming off, hey, I coached Tom Brady, or in this case, hey, I just coached Bryce Young. It's another thing to be able to, to compete with Jimbo Fisher and certainly Nick Saban, everybody else in that league to get top talent. That's not easy. Um, I'm not saying Bill O'Brien can't do it, but I think it's still, you know, I think it's still a big question mark at this point about whether he can or not. He's the, he's the, the ideal person to go forward. And we've talked a lot about Mel Tucker in the past couple of weeks, as you mentioned, and I mentioned this too the other day, uh, he's only going to have one winning season in three years as a head coach, but he knows how to recruit in the SEC wasn't just, he, you know, he has a lot of people who back him around LSU. He's been at Georgia. He's been at Alabama. I mean, I don't have any doubt he can recruit at that level. Can Bill O'Brien? Maybe. Um, but I'm not convinced that he is going to be the guy who's going to go in there and be a guy who's going to have top three classes. It's not an automatic. If people think it is, I mean, Les Miles' recruiting really tailed off in the last few years there. And I think people saw, you know, how much they missed on offensive linemen, how much they missed on some other positions. It's not just wearing the polo out and getting players. You need to, especially in this day and age, you really need to be be aggressive and be active. And you need to develop those relationships. You cannot be, you know, not all in on it when everybody else is now. Do we know for sure that Bill O'Brien doesn't want to recruit? I mean, he's. We don't I can't know. Can't imagine sure Nick Saban is letting him sit off to the side right now. We don't know for sure that he does or doesn't. The point is, it's like if you not are not some kind of recruiting recruiting maniac, it's probably not going to work. I mean, you know who's supposedly not a great recruiter is the guy in Gainesville. You know yeah, who's struggling true. now. So it's too cutthroat. It's too. You got all, all these. You know, really. Uh, high profile football programs all recruiting the same part of the country and often recruiting the same kids. And, but, Oh, by the way, Oklahoma and Texas are now going to be factors as well. So I, I absolutely think that's an essential part of the job. And you know, who he, I would head, I'm glad you mentioned, it. you know, what head coach I always hear is really, really hands-on Lincoln Riley. Mm-hmm. It's like, he's more hands-on than most head coaches are. That has come up from a bunch of guys I know who are in the recruiting process and that impresses people. So Nick is kind of dismissive of Lane Kiffin in here, but I kind of feel like, you know, they're six and one, they're ranked 10th in the country. If they end up going 10 and two, or certainly 11 and one and going to a new year six bowl, I feel like that's, he's absolutely the guy, one of, not the only guy, but the kind of guy who you talk about Scott Woodward and his infatuation with the big names, making a splash. You don't think they would, they would eat that up. The Lane Kiffin switches from, you know, within the SEC West and comes over to LSU. 
I think the key thing with Lane is if you're the AD, it's the risk reward. Do you feel like you can trust Lane Kiffin to be the head coach of your program at that level? I think it's that simple. And I'm not saying whether you can or whether you can't. I think that is up to up to the AD and the president to feel like, do we, I mean, cause I think people forget when Lane was the head coach out here, if you were out here, there was a ton of drama around that program. Right. And even when Lane was in Tuscaloosa, there was a lot of drama in Tuscaloosa. I don't feel like there's been a lot of drama at Ole Miss. It's been more that he gets them a lot of good publicity from his tweets and his, he's just, you know, his, his popcorn comment or the golf ball, stuff like that. That's a lot different to me than, you know, you, you, the, we said that very thing about would a, would a college still hire Urban Meyer? Can you trust him? The stuff that he uh, was going on at Ohio State that led to him being suspended is a whole different deal than, oh, Lane Kiffin says some crazy stuff sometimes. Um, I just realized that these last two questions are both involving the same school, and that was a coincidence, I promise. But um, let's start with the bottom one from Jake Gregory. My question is about Wake Forest. They are undefeated, and it's not crazy to picture them winning out. Their schedule and results, though, have been less than impressive. But at 13-0, with a Power 5 label and an ACC championship, would they be left out of the playoff? My answer is no. I don't see an undefeated Power 5 champion left out of the playoff, even if you don't think the ACC is very good. What do you think? I would agree. Um, You know, look, they could make it through here, and I don't think they would have one top 25 win. They would probably point. play a, a a ranked team, you know, pit. Assume somebody in the ACC championship game, but not not before then. Certainly, Clemson's not going to be ranked. So, I I love Wake Forest. I sang their praises in the mailbag this week. I love watching that offense. The slow mesh play uh, is just every time is like, oh, what's he going to do? But they're not going to go thirteen and zero because their defense is terrible, and they've had all these close calls against teams like Syracuse and Louisville, it's, you know, they're going to lose at some point. It, that doesn't mean that they're bad. They'll, this could end up being, you know, the best season Wake Forest has ever had. But, uh, you know, they have to go undefeated to go to the playoff. I don't think 12-1 and one, uh, ACC champ Wake Forest is making the playoff when you've got the possibility of Cincinnati, two SEC, maybe two big teams. Like, there's, there's going to be other options that of teams that have better resumes than that. Yeah, and then follow up with Derek Johnson, Stu and Bruce. Do you think Dave Clawson would consider taking the Nebraska job if Nebraska moves on from Scott Frost? Clawson only makes $2.1 million, so couldn't Nebraska blow him away with an offer similar to the offer Michigan State made to Mel Tucker? I guess it's possible. Like, I think there are certain jobs that you would think, or at least I would have thought, that Dave Clawson would have been interested in, and he wasn't. And I know that... I think he's looking for fit, who he's going to coach, what the what the environment is like. I don't know if Nebraska fits that or not. If I was Nebraska and I saw him out there, I would be like, Oof, let's, you know, that's I think that's a good idea. I don't I do, know. too. I'm really intrigued by that. Um, why do you think it doesn't fit the kind of program he's looking for? I don't know that. it. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that part of it. Like I knew when Florida State was open. That was not one that I don't think he was like fired up for, for whatever reason. Um, in the he case- rarely even gets mentioned for any of these jobs, but this year they're having the kind of season that, that, you know, really ups your stock quite a bit. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Nebraska, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that would, that would intrigue him or not. If I was Nebraska, I'd, I would, Wake Forest is not an easy place to have this kind of success at. So, look, I think some of this, like, the timing is kind of very fortunate that they're having their best year. They have, like, this extremely experienced team. While Clemson is falling off the map in that particular year, and it's also happened when Florida State and Miami and Virginia Tech are all kind of spinning their wheels at this point. So um, I don't know. If I was Nebraska, I would, assuming, and it's a big assumption right now, but assuming they're like kind of, you know, Scott Frost may not be able to get this done, he would be high on my list of saying, hey, what do you think? Are you interested? What would it take to get you to, to look at this job. I would think given what he's done, he's coached a lot in the Midwest. Uh, he has a, he has a system, which is very unique. I would, I would, I would definitely look at him closely. As always, send your emails to the audible pod at gmail.com. We answer them on our Wednesday episode. So uh, keep that in mind. We always get a lot of great questions right after the weekend. Before we go, Bruce, a shout out um, as we were recording this, Mississippi State announced that former defensive coordinator Joe Lee Dunn has passed away at the age of 75. I know he had a long, you know, distinguished career at a lot of different schools, but I will always associate him with late 90s Mississippi State. He was really, was he, is he considered the first 335 coach um, or certainly among the first? He was considered very out there at that time. The thing I always remember with Joe Lee Dunn was, and you and I have joked about this over the years, whenever there's a coaching change, whoever goes in there, they always talk about how they're going to be way more aggressive on defense. Yeah. And they talk so much. And it was like, you know what? You're not going to be like, the only one who might be more aggressive than Joe Lee Dunn was Rocky Long. Like yeah. it was like, people would talk about it. It was like, yeah, you're going to make Joe Lee Dunn look like, look like he was reading react or something. And uh, he was a unique character. He was really good at what he did. And uh, thoughts are with his family and all the people who were close to him. You know, now we, when we talk about Mississippi State now, it's like, oh, you know, it's a great season for them if they go seven and five. Uh, Mississippi State went was in the SEC championship game in 98, won 10 games in 99. And it wasn't like they were loaded with great offensive players, although they had some good running backs in there. It was that defense. And at that time, if I'm rem- I feel like the SEC back then played more Thursday night games. I feel like I was Mississippi State was on Thursday night constantly. And so that's when you would see that's when you would see them you know play a lot and he was the broadcast like always focused on him. You know, you don't often see games now where they spend a huge chunk of the broadcast talking about the defensive coordinator but they did with him. So uh you know um like you just said we send along our condolences to his family and and obviously to, uh, to the Mississippi State community in particular. We'll see you guys next time.